Welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. Hi, my name's Kay. We will be reading from the book of signs by Dr. David Jeremiah. We're going to start out with end signs. We've come to the last act in the cosmic drama featuring the signs of the apocalypse. Our story continues with the second coming of Christ, which is a central theme in the Bible's narrative and one of the beast attested signs in all of scripture. Following the return of Christ, the glorious millennium will be established, an era of unprecedented peace on earth. After 1,000 years, I can't imagine a 1,000 years, Kay. That has always blown my mind as well. All the spiritually dead will stand before God at the great white throne judgment where they will face the consequences for rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Then the entire universe will be transformed by God's grace as a new heaven and a new earth emerges and a glorious city with dazzling foundations whose architect and builder is God descends from the sky and becomes the capital city of God's everlasting kingdom. Woo wee! (laughs) That I just just feel glory and praise for that. The final act ends. The curtain closes. Eternity begins. Let's conclude our study with five end signs God has given us to fill our hearts with anticipation and hope as the end of the world approaches. Return of the King. In a room decorated for an Albanian funeral, our missionary to Albania, Ian Loring, delivered a powerful Good Friday sermon on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Afterward, he invited everyone to come back on Sunday to observe the third day ritual. In Albanian culture, friends return three days after a funeral to sit with the family Drink bitter coffee <laughs> and remember the one who's died. Wow. Bitter coffee. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sorry, I'm not yeah. laughing at that. I just, that's. You can't uh, imagine that, can we? Uh, no. No, because we like foo foo coffee. <laughs> More than 300 people filled the room that Easter Sunday. Ian preached about the not quite empty tomb, observing that Christ's empty grave clothes still bore his shape but the napkin which had been wrapped around his head was placed away from the other grave clothes folded. To Ian's congregation, the minor detail held great meaning and promise. In Albania, when a person finishes a meal and prepares to leave the table, he crumples up his napkin to indicate that he has finished. But if he leaves the napkin folded, it is a sign that he plans to come back. The application was obvious to the albanians jesus is coming back yeah baby wow the second coming of christ is a central theme of much of the bible and it is one of the best attested promises of all scripture christians can rest in the sure conviction that just as jesus came to the earth the first time so he will return at the conclusion of the Great Tribulation. The Anticipation of Christ Although Christians are most familiar with the first coming of Christ, it is the second coming that gets the most ink in the Bible. References to the second coming outnumber references to the first by a factor of 8 to 1. Scholars count 1,845 biblical references to the second coming, including 
318 in the New Testament. Christ's return is emphasized in no less than 17 Old Testament books and seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament. The Lord himself referred to his return 21 times. The second coming is second only to faith as the most dominant subject in the New Testament. The prophets foretold the second coming of Christ. While many of the Old Testament prophets wrote concerning the second coming of Christ, it is Zechariah who has given us the clearest and most conscious prediction of it. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. Notice how Zechariah deals in specifics, even pinpointing the geographic location in which Christ will return. And that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Like Armageddon, the Mount of Olives is an explicitly identical place that retains its ancient name even today. Recently, I visited a Jewish cemetery has been on this site since biblical times. The prophet's specificity gives us confidence that his prophecy is true and accurate. How in the world is there a Jewish cemetery since biblical times? Wow. What? It's been preserved. Protected. What do you think? Protected. That's a long time. Yeah. Wow. Jesus himself announced his second coming. Jesus, speaking from the Mount of Olives, affirmed his second coming to his disciples in dramatic and cataclysmic terms. Four, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Wow. The angels announced that Jesus would return. Immediately following Christ's ascension into heaven, two angels appeared to the stunned disciples and spoke words of comfort to them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand gazing up to heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The next verse tells us they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Did you catch that? Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. (laughs) According to the angels, Christ will return to that very same spot, the Mount of Olives. The word of the angels conveyed both consolation for the disciples, present loss of Jesus, and confirmation of his future return. John the Apostle foretold Jesus' second coming. The prophecies of Christ's return are like bookends to John's revelation. In the first chapter, he wrote, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And in the last pages of the last chapter, indeed, almost the last words of the New Testament, our Lord emphatically affirms his second coming. He who testifies to these things says, 
surely. I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Obviously, we have excellent reason to anticipate the return of Christ. The Bible affirms it through as certainty, describing it in specific terms and with ample corroboration. The advent of Christ. Twice in the book of Revelation, we are told that the door to heaven will be opened. It is first opened to receive the church into heaven at the time of the rapture. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here, I will show you things which must take place after this. Oh my gosh, Kay. Can you imagine just, I mean, even the doors of heaven opening? Oh, this is going to be so cool. The door swings open a second time for Christ and his church to proceed from heaven and on their militant march back to earth. The first opening is for the rapture of the saints. The second is for the return of Christ. When Jesus arrives on earth the second time, his landing will dramatically herald the purpose of his coming. The moment his feet touch the Mount of Olives, the mountain will split apart, creating a broad passageway from Jerusalem to Jericho. As you can imagine, this will be an unprecedented geological catalysm. Let's look briefly at the Bible's description of the glory and majesty Christ will display at his second coming. His designation. In Revelation 19, the descending Lord is given three meaningful titles. Now, I saw the heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He had a name written that no one knew except himself and his name is called the word of God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I like the way one scholar summarizes these verses. In these three names we have set forth first our Lord's dignity as the eternal Son, second his incarnation, the Word became flesh, and last his second advent to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His description, the eyes of the returning Christ are described as burning like a flame of fire, signifying his ability as a judge to see deeply into the hearts of men and ferret out all the injustice. His eyes will pierce through the motives of nations and individuals and judge them for what they really are, not for how they hope their mask of hypocrisy will make them appear. The head of the returning Christ is crowned with many crowns, testifying to his status as an absolute sovereign king of kings and lord of lords, the undisputed monarch of the entire earth. The robe of the returning Christ is dipped in blood, reminding us that he is the sacrificial lamb of God. Earlier in Revelation, John described him as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In fact, Jesus will be represented to us as the lamb of God throughout eternity. The armies of Christ. When Jesus returns to this earth to put down the world's ultimate rebellion, the armies of heaven will accompany him. John described these armies as clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. In the short epistle that immediately precedes the book of Revelation, Jude describes this epic event in verses 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, 
prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In one short verse, Jude used the word ungodly four times. This repetition is not accidental. Jude was emphasizing the fact that when Christ comes the second time, his long-suffering patience will have run its course. Think about that, how patient God is with us every day when we struggle with one sin and continuously do it. And we're sorry, but his patience and his forgiveness and his favor and his love for his children, that's hard to imagine too, because when people do things against us, we're immediate to judge. Right. It takes us a while to forgive, but we're called to forgive because God continuously forgives us. But his long-suffering patience will have run its course. He will come to impose judgment upon those who have defied him, and that judgment will be massive. At this point, the people on earth will have rejected the ministry of the 144,000 preachers and the two witnesses that God sent to them for their salvation, just as the prophet Jonah was sent to the Ninevites. In his loving mercy, God endeavored to turn them away from their fatal rebellion. But unlike the Ninevites, the people in that last days will have hardened their hearts beyond repentance. Mercy. Mercy is right. Mercy, people. The authority of Christ. When the Lord returns to the earth at the end of the tribulation, the men and nations who have defied him will no more be able to stand against him than a spider web could stand against an eagle. <laughs> wow. His victory will be assured. His authority undisputed. Here is how John described the finality of his judgment and the firmness of his rule. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All that's capitalized again and again in here. The grand title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, identifies our Lord as at his second coming. It speaks of his unassailable authority. At this name, every king on earth will bow and every lord will kneel. When Christ returns the second time, he will finally fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah that we often quote and he choirs sing to handles lofty music at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At his first coming, Jesus fulfilled the first part of Isaiah's prophecy, the heartwarming Christmas part. At his second coming, he will fulfill the second part, the part that reveals his iron, hard power and authority over all the nations. The government of the world 
will at last be upon his shoulder. Wow, Miss Kay, we are going to stop there. When we come back, we will be reading about the avenging of Christ. Thanks for stopping by. God bless and have a great week. Thank you.